Hello and welcome to our monthly podcast series, In Conversation With. Hello and welcome to the Global Cosmetics News Podcast. Today we'll be talking about microbiome skincare. And first, it's my pleasure to introduce our panellists. We have Yanis Ethimiopoulos, analyst at Euromonitor, Marie Drago, Managing Director at Galinet, and Dr. Jeff Briggs, who's Innovation Manager, Skincare Devices and Diagnostics at Walgreens Boots Alliance. Welcome, everybody. Let's start a little talking about what microbiome actually is. For those who are out there who may be not familiar with what it means, um, particularly in the skincare arena, Marie, do you want to start talking a little bit about it? Uh, for me, the simple uh, definition of the microbiome would be the ecosystem of living microorganisms that lives in and on the human body. And in terms of skincare, what are we talking about? Let's define. So... If you want a definition of microbiome skincare, I would say it's all skincare products that are defined to protect and maybe support the microbiome. Maybe influence as well. Influence possibly, especially when there is an issue, uh, an imbalance to start with, then there's something that you can go in and and you know, promote, maybe nudge it in the, in the right direction. Super. And in terms of skincare preparations, there are a few different types when we're talking microbiome as an umbrella term, but there are a few different types of ways that we either feed or influence the microbiome. Do you want to talk us through that, Jeff? We're talking prebiotics, probiotics, etc. So prebiotics is by far the easiest. Prebiotics is just food for the bacteria can be food for the good bacteria, whatever the definition of a good bacterium is. And we're talking primarily bacteria. Obviously, there are fungi and other yeasts and archaea and other species on the skin as well. And all of these are, are part of the microbiome, but primarily we'll be talking bacteria, I presume. Uh, so prebiotics are primarily food for the bacteria that you can hope to influence which ones grow and which ones don't, because you're obviously feeding the good ones and, and the bad ones can't eat it. You then got onto your, your probiotics in a strictly scientific term. Probiotics have come from the gut, and so they're talking about living bacteria that you were applying. But in the cosmetic, this is stretched into bacterial extracts, lysates, can be live bacteria, can be complete dead bacteria, but it is, it is some part of a bacterium that has a positive influence either on the skin or on the other bacteria that live on the skin. And then you have your postbiotics, which are sort of ferment. It is what the, the bacteria make, but it's not part of the bacteria in themselves. When I talk about this to, to people, the easiest way is if you think about beer and wine, they are your postbiotics. There's no part of the bacterium actually in there anymore. But what you've got is, is the, what they've done and what they've produced, which is the alcohol. If we're allowed to do talk brand names, then the Marmite would be your your <laughs> your probiotic because that's the sludge that's left at the bottom of the the beer barrel. But I think the definitions are still evolving quite a bit because originally there were definitions only for the gut, yes. uh, and now that we can talk about pro and probiotics on skin, like you st still need to rethink your definitions. And for me, postbiotics are not only produce of bacteria, but produce of bacteria that will have uh, an effect on the bacterium themselves or on the host. So not every produce of a bacteria is postbiotic. You've got to think of it as a virtuous circle, and it's anything that will have a knockdown effect on either bacteria or other bacteria or the host. And let's talk about a little bit about where this skin 
care trend has come from. It's relatively new. Um, as you say, it's still evolving. Yanis, do you want to talk to us a little bit about where yeah, the trends so come from? This trend, as is the case with many trends in the beauty sector, has originated from the food industry. So we have seen that uh, ingesting probiotics has beneficial effects on uh, the gut health. And this, coupled uh, with the knowledge that the probiotics also help uh, for uh, the immune system and they are also have more topical applications of uh, improving uh, skin health and uh, speeding up the wounding healing process. This has resulted in their application in, in, in their uh, using topical creams because in, in this way we can help and restore the good bacteria that can be found on our skin. Of course, uh, this trend mainly appeals to consumers who are aware of uh, the constant threats that our skin faces every day, which are environmental aggressors like the UV radiation, uh, pollution molecules, but also uh, from uh, the harmful uh, chemical ingredients that can be found in cosmetic products. And while we're talking food trends, a lot of key food trends have travelled over to cosmetics arena recently. Um well, perhaps not so recently, superfoods is a good example, but it's really sort of racked up recently. And the backlash against that is that they only really work when they're ingested. Is that the case with microbiome or can we say that it's truly an independent skincare trend that, that really works? Well, for me, uh, it also comes very directly from the science and the pharma industry. Like We see a lot of research being done on the skin microbiome, typically to cure eczema and acne. Uh, and so some, well, cosmetics uh, has been catching up on this kind of trend. But yeah, for me, like skin microbiome is actually more easy to influence than the gut microbiome because you can see it and you can touch it, something that you cannot do with the gut. You can apply things on it knowing that it will arrive to the site, which is in the gut, the bacteria have got to pass the stomach um, barrier, which is quite hard. And also you can influence uh, the environment. You can play with the pH of the skin, something you really cannot do in the gut. So for me, like the... Skin microbiome is a very good uh, field for uh, exploring and actually doing things. Though I would add to that, obviously, I, I agree everything you're saying there. Mm -hmm. But the other problem is, of course, because it is an open environment, then it means that you can't control it because whatever you're doing is, is still exposed to the outside environment. You're still exposed to the, the bed you're sleeping in, the sofa you're sitting on, the dog that you're stroking. And so... This means that it's very difficult to influence it for the long term. But that obviously in the cosmetic industry is good because if it's cosmetic, it's got to be a temporary effect. And so what you're doing is you are, while you're applying the cosmetic, you're having that positive effect. But we're assuming that as soon as you stop applying the cosmetic, then you will go back to your natural state, which is great as far as a cosmetic product is, is concerned. But it means that actually treating the, the more medical side of things, treating acne, eczema, psoriasis, all of these things becomes far more complicated because you're not getting at the, the root problem necessarily. Yeah, they're all talking in pharma about recolonization, which is a hard word to say. Uh, and none of them has plans or managed to do it yet. Now, the only stuff I've seen which does do close to that is where you're trying to swap one specific species, one specific strain for another. So this is some of the stuff that we that we have seen that's out there that people are, are trying to take. If we look at acne, there's only one specific acne or one or two specific acne strains which cause the problems. There are a lot of them which live on your, on your skin and are very beneficial. And so what they are doing is they're taking from your skin, they're taking the ones which are the, 
the good species, the beneficial ones, and they're growing them up and then feeding them back and trying to replace the, the bad ones on your skin with the good ones on your skin. But as far as the, the, widest, the wider microbiome is concerned, it's just still P. acnes. And they're, of course, because they are already on your skin, then they are going to be the ones that are going to survive on your skin. And there you should be able to recolonize. Mm -hmm. The science is relatively new. It's still evolving. But it is counterintuitive to everything that we've been told previously, in that most skincare advice used to be antibacterial, 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 particularly when we talk about acne. How are we going to re-educate consumers about that? How does that work? Uh, I think it's going to start re-educating doctors and dermatologists and people <laughs> who prescribe this kind of antibiotics and antibacterial. I think we are profiting a lot from the food trends and the fact that now everyone knows that good bacteria are good for your gut. You see a lot of rise in, I guess, fermented food and prebiotic food. Uh, so that makes it a lot easier to explain on the skin side of things. And I can see the trend changing really quickly. When I launched the brand two years ago, no one even knew they had bacteria on their skin. And now when you say you've got to take care of them, everyone accepts it really quickly. Yeah, I just believe that consumers should understand the differentiation between the good and the bad bacteria and understand that the good bacteria already live on their skin. So it's not a problem if they are also included in a cream that they apply on their skin. And what about the leap from sort of there's bacteria in your skin cream how are we selling that because previously we've always been told as consumers that preservatives are there to stop there being bacteria in your skin cream and that it wouldn't necessarily be a, you know that's why we've got sell by dates on on skin creams and cosmetics nowadays how are we going to be um, getting over that barrier well first of all sorry i, I believe that uh, Consumers should, and companies, of course, should understand that they should not use very harmful ingredients because this will destroy completely all of the flora that lives on our skin and this has a very bad effect for our health. And I believe that there should be a better a standardization of the terms for the probiotics because now, for example, people listen that something has probiotics and they don't know if they are live bacteria or if they are prebiotics or postbiotics. So... We should standardize the terms and also I believe that there should be some more regulations in place. But we have seen that there are companies uh, which have commercialized products that contain live bacteria and since they have obtained the licenses to show that they have safe and efficient products, then this is something like that should reassure consumers that they are safe. Yeah, and I would add to that that the bacteria that you're trying to stop growing in your skincare products when they're stuck on the shelf and you've, they're sort of two months old tend to not be the skin bacteria. The ones that are in there are not the ones you want. Mm -hmm. So so even if the, you do want to keep those sterile, you want, don't want stuff to grow in there. The probiotics, yeah, as Janice says, is most of the time it's not actually live bacteria you're putting in there anyway. It's, as far as the industry is concerned, probiotics can be bits of dead bacteria and then you're talking bacterial extract in the same way as you talk about a plant extract and nobody's bothered about a plant extract nobody's going to say i'm suddenly going to start growing an apple on my, on my skin or whatever so it's so it's different and whether those where you are putting probiotics in and when we're talking live bacteria in a lot of cases what they are, are they're being encapsulated because you want something to stay in a, in a stationary state so it sits in there it doesn't do anything while it's in the cream and it's only when it's applied to the skin sees a change in pH, is exposed to the air, breaks breaks the you know, lipids open, gets exposed to water, that's when it will start growing. So it will be stationary. It won't be growing when it's in the skin cream. 
So we're not going to see skincare that you keep in the fridge <laughs> in this Sometimes. area. Currently Maybe. we do. Yes. So. There's one brand that I can think of called Mother Dirt, who does a spray with live bacteria inside that has a four weeks shelf life, I think, and that you keep in the fridge. And it's uh, supposed to allow you to skip shower, well, washing. In which case, I mean, from a retail perspective, are we going to have fridges in Sephora, in Boots, or are we going to be selling this in Whole Foods, in Planet Organic, next to the yogurts? So I know that Mother Dirt in Whole Food here in the UK, uh, they have fridges on the side. It's the same in Credo Beauty, where they're also selling, and in Whole Food US. So yeah, fridges are coming to the cosmetic space. And we, of course, already have fridges in, in Boots <laughs> because we sell food. Of course. So, and um, when you're looking at this, again, you have to go back to the food industry and assume that these are our foods in the same way as you do keep your yogurts and your milk and, and whatever. They are that sort of product. Interesting. Yeah, but maybe this will end up uh, like uh, having the products only in the premium market because then it will be very difficult in terms of packaging and formulation to... Uh, have the, the bacteria alive in the product for a long time. So this will like, not allow the products to expand in the mass market. And this is a problem that Mother Dirt have had, and this is why Mother Dirt started off on a, a direct-to-consumer sale, because they can, they can grow the stuff, they can post it out, and they know within three days it will be sat in the person's... In the, consumers fridge sat at home and it'll be safe whereas if it came to someone like us then it would be stuck in a warehouse for three months perhaps and then it'd be sent out to a shop and it'd be stuck at the bottom back of a shelf by the time it got to the consumer it would not be live anymore and so this is an issue and this is why currently we could not sell a product like that it's quite good that the worst that can happen with when you've got live bacteria in product is that they turn up dead rather than breeding inside the product. So mm -hmm. if the worst case scenario is just that the bacteria is not live anymore, it should reassure the consumer also. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And logistically, I mean, obviously that's a reimagining of how we're going to sell this. Um, digital is going to help with that. But I mean, for example, if we go back to saying we do sell food in boots, but I can't imagine that you're going to want to pick up as what is relatively expensive skincare next to a ham sandwich. <laughs> so I think we are talking a slight reimagining of the shelf layout there. Yes, yeah, uh, definitely. It's one product in itself is not going to be enough anyway. This is why it's we have to grow the entire market. We have to educate the customers such they expect to see a range of products and some of them will be on the shelves and some will be prebiotics they understand what a prebiotic is and some of them will be probiotics and, and that will be the the bacterial extracts and some of them will be live live back cultures that are stuck in a fridge and they will expect if they go into a store ours anybody's doesn't matter but they will expect to see a range of, of microbiome related products across the store and they will know where to go to get a particular type And I think that's why there's a lot of collaboration at the moment between all the microbiome skincare brands, uh, is that we know that we are creating a category and creating a space. And so that at the moment, there's no need to fight each other. It's let's grow together. And we all have our different points and our differences in what we want to do and what we put inside the products. But ultimately, it's a new wave of skincare. And I think, I think it's a revolution in skincare. And so we all benefit from collaborating. And let's talk a little bit about um, the width of products available and also collaboration, because as with any big trend, a lot of people are saying, oh, oh, we'll make one of those. <laughs> um, and as we were having a quite productive discussion just before we came in to record this, there are some, let's say, 
dubiously scientific products out there that are trying to leap onto the trend. What is your perspective on that? How far can the trend go without diluting itself? Difficult to say. There, there. If we play in the the healthcare arena, consider the healthcare arena. It is very clear that things like Staphylococcus aureus is very heavily involved in in eczema and the the rate of flare ups. Therefore, there is something you can do, and you can specifically target the Staphylococcus aureus, and you can do that in a number of ways. One of them is, is microbiome methodology to reduce that, reduce the level of flare ups, and treat eczema and reduce the level of both the intensity of the flare-ups and the frequency of the flare-ups. Acne is slightly more of a grey area because it's only when they, they get stuck in the in the pores and they get blocked that they start causing the inflammation when they're out on the, on the, on the surface more than they're actually one of those that you want there. And seeing as they make up sort of between 50 and 70% of your, your facial species, if you wipe them out, which is obviously what a lot of products claim to do then suddenly you have this this huge area with nothing living there and who knows what's going to come in and take over so if you're looking at the healthcare side of things it is very clear what can be done and what can be achieved because that's where the research has been that's where the the investment from the medical companies has, has been that's where the money is to be made what we're looking at is is the trickle down from that side so if it causes you know, eczema that's a, an inflammation response, it's a dry skin response. So if we've got somebody who doesn't have eczema but tends to have sensitive skin, tends to have inflamed skin, tends to have dry skin, does that mean the product that treats eczema, the Staph aureus, will also have a beneficial effect on the on a more a wider, a wider market? And that is where we're looking at. But there is currently little scientific understanding of exactly what the difference is between healthy and unhealthy skin. Now, we know when you've got very unhealthy skin and we can look at those and find the markers, and it can be a pH, it can be a barrier function, it can be staph aureus all over your skin. There are various things that say unhealthy skin. But what is healthy skin and what variety can be in the, the healthy skin space is a, is a little more... Um, fluid. No, I agree. And so we talk a lot about like all the bacterial active, the probiotic and the prebiotic inside the product and are they good? Do we understand their action? But what I think we understand is the impact of everything else we put in cosmetic products and usually they have an impact on your skin microbiome. Typically, the preservatives are the biggest question of all. So that's probably something we are going to think a lot about in the next few years. But then everything coming from like perfume, SPF, uh, emollient, everything has an impact on your skin bacteria that is probably not always a good effect. Like it can reduce uh, your variety of biodiversity. It can help with the growth of the acne bacteria or the staph aureus. So I think when we talk about like our probiotic and prebiotic a good thing in skincare, I think part of the question should also be what about everything else and should we maybe retest and re-look at the way we make products? And that's going to be interesting in the year to come. Yeah, I agree with that. And I just wanted to add that maybe some more research is required also on the type of strains that we are putting in probiotic products because mainly in existing products, these come from uh, gut bacteria. So these have proven effects uh, for gut health, but we don't know if they are necessarily the best bacteria to help the skin bacteria. And if, if the message is that we shouldn't wipe off the... <laughs> 
not not literally, obviously, figuratively, the bacteria from our skin um, through washing, through using antibacterial products. Obviously, that has a knock-on effect for the producers of those antibacterial products, as in they won't sell as much. So they are rapidly trying to say, oh, actually, we've now got a new soap with probiotics in it. What are your thoughts on that, um, Jeff? Do you want to start us off? Well, I think, first of all, you need to distinguish between sanitizers and cleansers. You are always going to want to clean your face. You know, you're going to get dirt on it. You're going to have oil on it. You're going to have lipstick on it. These are all things that you want to remove. Removing those does not necessarily mean you have to remove the bacteria. In the same way as if you use a, a sanitizer, you can put a sanitizer, you can kill everything there, but you've still got the dirt and the oil on your face. So these are two very different things. So your question is, what are you trying to use your soap for? And if your soap is to remove dirt, then you can produce a soap or a material that will remove the the dirt, remove the lipstick, whatever, and leave the commensal bacteria behind. What it may do is also remove the opportunistic bacteria, those which ones are, are not supposed to be on your skin, and it will remove those as well. But the ones which are supposed to be there, they tend to be under the, the sort of the top layer of the skin, they tend to be down the pores. And the evidence is that even after a an antiseptic wipe, within a few a few days, everything is back to normal. So you're not killing off the commensal in most cases. There is always a risk, of course, and if you have killed off everything, then there's a chance that you don't know what's going to come back. So this is where the prebiotic soaps and prebiotic applications around the cleansing process are particularly interesting because what you can do is promote the chance of, of re-establishing what you had beforehand, and that would be healthy. So sanitizing and cleansers are two different things, and soaps can be in either position and it's a case of identifying what it is you're trying to do with your soap whether you want it to be a cleanser or a sanitizer and if it's the sanitizer obviously you're killing off everything if it's in the cleansing space then you can formulate them such that they will just clean but they'll leave the stuff behind and possibly even promote what's left behind do you think consumers understand the difference between those two things I don't think that people in the industry necessarily <laughs> understand the difference between these two things. But it is, it's only for those of us playing in the microbiome space, I suppose, that you have to start thinking about these questions. And that's when you start understanding what's happening here and what you need, the fact that these are two different processes. So that's all where it's come back to formulation and how do you formulate pe uh, products that are going to be biome-friendly, which I think is like a label you're going to see more and more on products. Um, because, yes, please put probiotics in your soap, but if you use a soap is pH 9, that doesn't make any sense. So it's all about formulating uh, with less preservatives or no preservatives uh, at a pH that is good for the skin, respecting the skin barrier. Like, you can still cleanse your face, and I totally agree with Jeff. It's like, please cleanse your face, but don't stripe it of everything, because what will come back is probably the hardest to kill bacteria, uh, and that's usually not the good ones. So what we're saying really is that we need more education for consumers, that microbiome trend in its infancy needs to start telling people, we're not saying wash less, we're saying wash differently or with different products. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's why I would like maybe some of the bigger players to come into the microbiome space because they have the money and possibility to do a lot of education. But I understand that from the bigger brand, because they had this antibacterial view of everything for the last 50 years, it's a shift that's not always very easy to do. So it's mostly done to the small brands to do all the education work. So at Galine, we've got like a microbiome coloring book for, you know, teaching people about the bacteria and how friendly they are. 
but yeah, I hope that hopefully some of the big players are going to come in the space. And in terms of product development, where can we go? We were talking a little bit earlier about how hair care is a possible next avenue. Do you want to talk us a little bit through that, Marie? Uh, yeah, so for me, like if you start thinking about beauty and how all your beauty products would be developed for the microbiome, you've got to reformulate everything. So yes, skincare is the first step. I think hair care is the next big one, or like more uh, exactly scalp care, because what we are doing daily with our SLS uh, shampoos to the scalp is a bit shocking, and it's probably not helping. Like it's a lot of self-inflicted damage, actually. And then after that, you've got makeup, and you've got like everything in beauty needs to be reformulated for the microbiome. It's taking a bit of time, but I know it's coming because now you see all the ingredient manufacturers are starting to test their product for uh, microbiome impact, and you've got new ingredients coming on the market that are going to help that too. I also want to add uh, about oral care. Maybe probiotics will also be used in oral care, but given the number of uh, bacteria that live in our mouth, maybe they can be used as a matter of uh, seeing if there, are, if there is any kind of infection in our mouth. And this is something that Procter & Gamble has already invested in. And what about, well, let's go crazy, deodorants? I mean, are we going to see microbiome-friendly deodorants? Oh, you would definitely see microbiome-friendly deodorants. Odour... Underarm odour is also one of those big things which we know is caused by bacteria, or specific species of bacteria. Therefore, there is a very clear target and there is work out there which is done in, in various universities and, and academic institutions over the world which have shown that if you can replace one species with a closely related but different species, then you can clear up the odour problem. And so you don't get the odour because the sweat you produce yourself has no odour. It's only when it's metabolised by specific species of bacteria. And so if you have those bacteria are not there and one that's very similar, so it's, it's as far as your skin is concerned, it's, it's identical. The microbiome is not really changed. It's, it's like swapping a, a tiger for a lion, for example. In the, in the, they still do the same function as far as everything else is concerned, but what they won't do is cause the bad odours and malodours from breaking down the sweat. And so you can have products which mean that you'll you'll never have, you know, sweaty armpits, for example, because the the smell just won't won't be produced. And that will be another massive shift for the industry. Another massive shift for the industry, yes. And also, like I like the way that we start seeing a lot of research on feminine hygiene, also, which is like still beauty, but a little bit further down the health line. But it makes sense, like the vaginal microbiome is really rich and damaged every day by the way that we take care of it. So you're going to see products also coming, helping the right kind of bacteria in there. And that's also one of the most sensitive skins as well, and far by far the, probably the easiest to damage. The skin on the outside is is fairly tough. That's, it, is a, it is a barrier. It is a barrier after all, and that's what its role is to do, is to keep the outside out and the inside in. And it does a very, very good job of it. Obviously, when you're getting to the, the vaginal area, it is a lot more delicate, a lot more, a lot more sensitive, and so there's far easier to cause real harm in this area if you use the wrong products and you damage your microbiome. I mean, should we be using products full stop? I mean, it's again another nascent category, but didn't used to exist. Um, isn't that something that somebody's created a new category that's then causing a problem that we'll then need to solve? We had a talk uh, at the Science Congress recently in Boston where one of the microbiome brands was saying, 
can you actually prove that your product is better than nothing? And it's quite uncomfortable question for the cosmetic industry, but I think it's the right one to ask. So yeah, I definitely think the trend is going to be toward less products and less ingredients in your products. So minimalistic inky, minimalistic routine and gentler product all around. So yeah, it's not about selling more, it's about selling better, I guess. Yeah, and providing a natural way of boosting your own skin defense. Who is the customer for Microbalm? Who's your customer? Who are you targeting? Uh, so usually I always do my marketing saying that our product is for everyone who's got skin bacteria. So that means everyone. But I noticed that probably half of my customers have sensitive to very sensitive skin. And the other half uh, has skin problem uh, tending toward acne. Because it's both ways that regulating the skin bacteria are going to help with this like two poles, I guess. But yeah, like primarily, I would say people with sensitive skin, even if so far in the industry, probiotic skincare, uh, probiotics have been in cosmetic products for 30 years. Uh, no one was talking about it, but they've been used massively as an anti-inflammatory and anti-aging ingredient. And do you think it's something that, I mean, for example, millennial and Gen Z consumers are often described as more switched on in terms of beauty that they do their research and they understand do you think it's something that they will embrace but perhaps the older generation will still be a little bit reticent to use things that aren't I would say yes but I also notice my customer base seems to be 35 plus so people who's probably tried a lot and have sensitive skin and wants to take better care of it rather than just take on the latest fad on Instagram I would also say that when you the older female customer, when you're going through menopause, of course, this changes your skin incredibly as well. So you're almost going through another puberty. And so your barrier function changes, the amount of sebum on your skin changes, the dryness changes. There are so many things that change that you're then going through the same problems that you go through puberty. You've got this, this huge unbalance and, and dysbiosis as the species is concerned, everything is changing. And so that is the case, again, where these products can work because what you can do is is move through to what is your going to be your new normal quicker and easier and almost perhaps nudge your new normal to be something which is beneficial. And I think that's a niche that hasn't really been explored. I mean, a lot of later Gen X women and early baby boomer women complain that they're not talked to by the skincare industry or the beauty industry generally and that it's all about the young woman. Perhaps we do need more exploration of this area. Especially as there are good proofs that the microbiome is changing radically when your skin age and that's probably causing or like at least heavily linked to the skin dryness that you experience when you get older. So yeah, like uh, now the, I, I love, uh, we know when startups that can predict uh, your age just by looking at your microbes on your skin and they can see what impacts negatively or positively the, um, the edge of your skin and your skin microbes. So it's getting quite uh, interesting in that space of uh, aging and the microbiome. And let's talk about claims because we've talked a lot about skin health in relation to microbiomes, but in reality, a selling point of lots of our skincare creams is the anti-aging. Can we claim that? Is there a, a benefit? That's always been the main claims for probiotics in skincare so far. Uh, we are using ingredients that are well-known and that seem to have a... I'm going to be... A, like, I'm not sure I'm, what I'm going to say super scientific, but we seem to have a good uh, impact on the interleukin release on the skin, which is going to reduce inflammation, which is going to reduce the cause of aging, which is mainly inflammation. 
So I think primarily so far probiotic skincare has been for anti-aging, almost 90%, and that we are moving slightly away from that towards sensitive skin and acne. But so far, it's still a lot about anti-aging. So I would say, what are you talking about when you're talking anti-aging? Anti-aging, if we're talking wrinkles, probably not. Pigmentation, probably not. Because they are wrinkles and pigmented skin are still perfectly healthy skin. Some of the signs of it, when you're looking at skin damage, which is causing it, then yes, then probiotics can have a beneficial effect. But are they going to remove your wrinkles? Probably not. Not not immediately. There are things out there in the, the academic literature which suggest these might come in the future. But at the moment, I think we're looking more at the sort of the unbalanced skin. And unfortunately, wrinkles is is a very balanced skin. It's just slightly older. And is that why do you think that we're seeing a shift in the language that a lot of the new products that are coming out now are necessarily leaving off the anti-aging, anti-wrinkle language and instead promoting glow and health? Are we are we looking at a place where we don't necessarily want to talk about aging? We more want to talk about health. Is is that part of this trend, do you think? Yeah, I believe that um, health is a main concern for consumers now and by adding um, some ingredients that respect the microbiome and that they enhance uh, the barrier, the defense barrier of our skin is the best way of addressing the issues that are created by our everyday life. And this is probably the best way to go forward. And this can be done either with live bacteria, it can also be done with prebiotics, with postbiotics. In some cases, maybe it will be easier for products to have some heat-killed strains or some ruptured uh, dead probiotics. This can also be helpful. It's worth raising the difference between correlation and causation as well, <laughs> which is obviously in claims, this is one of the, the biggest areas. Are we changing the microbiome? because we're improving the skin or are we improving the skin because we're changing the microbiome and because it is an environment it is an ecosystem you change the, the microbiome you make it drier and you're going to change what lives on top of it and it's not necessarily that if you change what lives on top of it you'll change the underlying microbiome if you take species from the amazonian rainforest and put them into the desert it's not going to turn the desert into the amazonian rainforest mm-hmm. so it's only if you change the desert into put water in there, that you'll start moving the species across. And I think this is a big issue. doesn't mean that they, even then there isn't a value to it. The, as, a, as a marker for healthy skin, the microbiome is, is going to be great. If you change the skin underneath and you end up with a healthy microbiome on top, that still means you end up with a healthy microbiome and you can look at that and say, I've got healthy skin. But a lot of the products out there may not be affecting the microbiome directly. What they're doing is changing the skin. And if you change the skin, you'll change what lives on top of it. I see. And do you think in the future there will be a market for single strains of bacteria, much like at the moment, for example, the ordinary cells, um, you know, single ingredients? Do you think that we'll be getting to a point where customers will be asking for that bacteria, please? I mean, I'm not going to even attempt to say some of the words. (laughs) I'm not sure it's going to be a good idea because skin health is heavily linked to uh, biodiversity. I would, it's one of those where I would possibly disagree a little because this is something which is down the line, but you're talking personalization. We need to go through and be able to measure you and say, what is it that you've got? If we go back to that acne example I said earlier, have you got the, the acne which causes inflammation or have you got the healthy um, sort of pea acnes? Therefore, which one have you got? And here we are, this is the one you need to replace that. 
you know, Staphylococcus even though it's one of the, the bad ones, there are various levels of, of bad one. And so if you've got the good one or the bad one, can we give you the good one and outgrow the bad one? Have we got something that can come in and we know we specifically target the issues that you've got, but we have to know what your issues are first. And Just, that is starting, like we've seen, I know of one brand in the States that does personalized microbiome skincare based on skin diagnostic. So got the little app that goes with it and they, deem, they create your uh, acne treatment based on your skin microbiome. And so what are we talking? Are we saying, you know, take a swab, send it in the post? Or are we talking going to store? Going to store would be great. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who has lots of stores, going to stores... <laughs> Yes, the idea would be in the future you go in, you take a cotton bud, you swipe it obviously on your your face after you've removed the makeup, but but remove the makeup long enough ago that you haven't removed all the bacteria on it obviously. And you drop it in a little machine and you press a button and it does some some wizardry and it comes out and gives you a list of what your main species are and what is missing compared to what a, a sort of a healthy microbiome is expected to be and what you've got that's that's there that shouldn't be and then you can target it but we are a long way away from that yes, but we need a better standard of testing better standard of understanding what the healthy microbiome is so i would say like give it a few years how, how long do you think how, how long are we talking 10 years 20 no i would say five like things are progressing so quickly there's so much money being injected in the microbiome space from the pharma industry uh, it's just that at the moment we barely are scratching the surface of what we understand. But five to ten, I think five mm. to ten. I think within ten years I would expect this to be a, a high street version. Within five I would expect it to be fairly common as a off the shelf, take a swab, uh, send it off and get your results back in the post. And then we can have bacterial spa, which is my dream. <laughs> bacterial spa, <laughs> sounds sexy. <laughs> For me, like the main thing is always it's not all about the active. Uh, please think about what you're putting in your products that will have an impact on the microbiome and it's going to be mostly preservatives, perfume, alcohol, anything antibacterial. And how much do you think the market's worth now and what kind of growth are we talking if, when we're talking five, ten years in advance? It's going so fast at the moment and I think it is going to overtake the rest of the market. It's not going to be a fad or just a trend. It's just a total rethink of uh, the beauty industry and where we are going. So, yeah, the whole market is going to be microbiome skincare in 10 years. And I think that this also depends on how these products will be promoted in the mass market. And in order to do that, probably they will have to find some ways of using some strains that are not very that are more resistant to the preservatives so maybe some spore based strains can be used or some hibernated or just, bacteria um, maybe develop product without preservatives which i yeah, think this, is a really this could also be, good be trend possibly. in the industry yeah. or maybe there is also the movement of like using less live bacteria and more of the prebiotics or the postbiotics or a combination of all these things. Yeah, I'd agree. It is not it's not going to be a trend. It is more than that. It's more than a movement. It will just be the expected norm that whatever products you've got, they've been tested for safety, they've been tested for, for stability, and they've also been tested to say, are these going to affect your microbiome? And it is just going to be one of those things that you expect on, on any product you buy. So, yes, you're still going to be able to go out there and buy your pre and pro and postbiotic ingredients or products including those but everything else on the shelf 
will have had a consideration over what messes is going to make of your skin. Because most people have got relatively healthy microbiome to start with. It's only when you start putting things on that you start changing it. And if you don't change it, if you have products which are safe and don't change it, then you're going to retain your healthy microbiome. It's far easier to keep a healthy microbiome than it is to convert an unhealthy to a healthy. And in terms of value of the market or a projected growth? It's going to be something which is not going to be market. It is just going to be expected to the whole of the the skincare and possibly even more so the the cosmetics because obviously when you're putting cosmetics, you're putting something on there which doesn't soak in, which stays there on the surface. It's actually far more likely to have a a negative effect on your your skin. You put a foundation on or a powder, primer, anything like this. It sits there. It sits over the surface. It is something which is maybe smothering the bacteria, it's providing something for them to to eat, which may be what's normally there, all sorts of things. So the the colour cosmetics is probably a a bigger area as far as microbiome safe, microbiome friendly, and that is where I don't think we have really moved into yet. We've been, but it should be the whole market, that that anything that is cosmetic, anything you apply to your, your face, your body, your hair, should have been considered, what does this do to your microbiome? And I also, when I present about Galine, I always like talk about the size of the market and how it is now and where it's moving. And my figures are always um, wrong because they're always too low. Like it's growing very, very fast. Okay. Well, microbiome's the future. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thank you everybody for joining us today. Thank you, Yanis. Thank you, Marie. And thank you, Jeff. And thank you to our audience for listening. Goodbye.